Welcome to the First Apostolic Church Podcast. Our church mission is to love as God loves, showing compassion to every soul, thus winning those souls and equipping them to be sent out to plant and to harvest. Thank you for joining us today, and we hope that you are blessed by today's podcast. Chapter number nine. Amen. Acts chapter number nine. We have about the second half of Acts nine to go through here this evening. I'm just going to read one verse for you. Amen. And then we'll get into the rest of this here this evening. I want to thank uh, Brother Andrew McBroom for coming over here tomorrow night or last night, rather, and finishing up our back uh, screen for us here. Appreciate him. Can we just give him a hand clap of appreciation for doing that? Amen. Last night coming over and taking care of that. Amen. So appreciative of him. Amen. And taking time of his life. Amen. To do that. Hallelujah. Acts 9, verse number 31. This evening, the Bible says, Then had the churches rest throughout all Judea and Galilee and Samaria and were edified. Everybody say edified. Walking in the fear of the Lord and in the comfort of the Holy Ghost were multiplied. Everybody say multiplied. Amen. That's what I want to entitle this for the next few moments. Edified and multiplied. Edified and multiplied. Hallelujah. Can we talk to the Lord right now? Jesus, we come to you here this evening. So grateful, Lord Jesus, again, to be in this house tonight, God. Let there be a clarity, Lord, of mind, hearts, and souls. God, I pray, Jesus, in this place tonight. I pray, oh, Lord, bless your people. God, the giving of themselves, Lord Jesus, of their time. God, Lord Jesus, to be in the house of the Lord. I pray, God, that you're able to strengthen us here tonight. God, I pray, oh, Lord, let your word do what it does best, Lord Jesus. It brings, Lord, edification. It brings, Lord, I pray, God, clarity, Lord, to the minds and hearts, God, of the people. Lord, will not fail to thank you for it. In the lovely name of Jesus Christ that we pray, the church say amen. Amen. You may be seated tonight. So glad to have Sister Cook and the girls back with us. I'm glad to have Jamie. And we're even glad to have Sister Cox back with us tonight. Amen. I'm so thankful for her. God love her. Amen. Good to have Danielle and, and the, the newest member of the Most Ed McGee, Sarah, all of that family. Amen. With us tonight as well. Amen. Yeah. Amen. Acts chapter number nine. In reality, uh, the rest of Acts chapter number nine, I said edified and multiplied, but it's hard to fit everything that goes on in the rest of Acts chapter number nine just under a heading. I'd probably been better if I just called it scrambled eggs. Uh, because that's in essence what it is in many respects, because we have Saul that's in Damascus. We have Saul being in Jerusalem. Uh, we have changing from Saul, who was changing to Paul, then going straight to Peter and him healing somebody that's a paralytic and somebody else that is dead. So it would probably have been best just call it scrambled eggs. So if you want as a subtopic, you can just call it scrambled eggs. Amen tonight. Hallelujah. So uh, it's pretty dynamic what happens in the rest of these chapters. And it may seem as though uh, they are very dissimilar, like they are very dissimilar happenings. But I think there is some line or thread of theme throughout the different parts that are here. And the essence of it is this is that upon the conversion of Saul, the man who had brought so much persecution upon the church, because of his conversion, now the table has been turned where he isn't being the persecutor, now he is being the persecuted. Not only that, Saul is being very much so misunderstood 
being that he was one that used to take these people that spoke about Jesus out, now he's the one proclaiming the name of Jesus. So a lot of people really don't know how to take Saul. As a matter of fact, some are uh, in the balances about whether or not he's true. I mean, whether or not he's legit. Uh, Whether or not he's really had salvation or is he just trying to pull the wool over some of our eyes just to get into our synagogues and our churches and take advantage of our members. And so there's a lot that's going on there. But as a result of this, as a result of Saul no longer persecuting the church and on his rampage as he was, in our scripture in verse 31, the church has had rest. The church has had rest. Uh, the persecution eased up among the churches, among the people as a result of the ringleader being converted. And whenever the church has rest, this is an age-old uh, uh, principle, whenever the church has rest, uh, the church can grow. It can. It can. And the church can disciple those that are within its walls. Whenever the church has rest. If you'll remember the Old Testament times concerning building the kingdom or building the church, if you'll remember all the days of, of, of David, that David was a man that was constantly involved in warfare. He shed much blood. There was all kinds of things that were going on. But he set that up so that whenever his son Solomon take over command, there was peace. Matter of fact, Solomon's name meant peace. And he had peace from around all the different sides of them. And as a result then, Solomon, it was under his, his hand that a temple was built for the purpose of housing again the Ark of the Covenant. That happened during a time of peace, not during a time of war. So some, there's some positive things that can happen through a time of peace. And so there was peace for the churches. And as a result, they did, they did mature. They did have edification that took place within their walls. But they also had numerical growth that took place within their walls as well. And then from this, we see well, Peter's going to walk here on the scene. And he's going to be able to go to some different cities and towns and, again, do some healings. And there's going to be some miracles by the Lord. Not saying it couldn't take place in the midst of persecution. But because there is peace now, people are not as on edge walking on eggshells to get out and do what they should not have been doing. And so with that being said, when you look at Acts 9 and verse number 19, I want to read two verses, 19 and 21. The Bible says, and when he, speaking of Saul, had received meat, he was strengthened. Then was Saul certain days with the disciples which were at Damascus. Verse 21. But all that heard him were amazed and said, Is not this he that destroyed them which called on this name in Jerusalem and came hither for that intent that he might bring them bound unto the chief priests? Here is something just tremendous, I think, for each and every one of us, and that is this. Saul is now spending time with the disciples he was going to persecute. Now, that's ironic. And I think that is a very good, very uh, awesome indicator of conversion, that the very ones you would have avoided, the very ones you would have criticized, now are the very ones that you spend time with and the very ones that you find things in common and correlate with. Amen. Uh, There's some difficulty. I know whenever your life changes and you start, you don't cut off all ties with the friends that you had before. You still befriend them because now you're in the position you want to win them. But you cannot maintain the same type of relationship that you had prior to your conversion. 
Amen. With your conversion uh, comes a time that you, you begin maybe to acquaint yourself with the house of God, the people of God. Amen. And you're trying to reach for those who were in the same place that you were just prior to your conversion. And so Saul was spending time with the disciples. He was spending time with the followers, the people that he was going to incarcerate. Amen. Uh, the ones he was going to bind and punish. Now they're sitting around and talking about God and they're talking about Christ and the great work that he did uh, upon the earth. Amen. And he still no doubt befriended those that, that, that uh, uh, were groups, that people that he had come from uh, of Judaism. But most likely he's going to live among, he's going to associate with those that are putting this new way of life. And this was evident for all those that knew him because they're taken back. And the maze said, is not this the man that destroyed? But he's not doing that now. He has a new sense of company. He is a, he is a ringleader still. We find Paul very much so being a ringleader, but now he's a ringleader leader of heralding truth in the name of Jesus everywhere that he goes. I find the, the similarity to this as in the Old Testament Saul. The Old Testament Saul and the New Testament Saul. The Old Testament Saul of 1 Samuel 10, we read that he's already had an encounter with Samuel. Samuel has told him, don't worry about your daddy's donkeys. We know where they're at. But I'm going to tell you what's going to happen to you, Saul. You're going to find yourself coming among a group of prophets, and God's going to touch your heart. And whenever this happens, his spirit's going to come upon you. And he told Saul from the beginning, the Old Testament Saul, you're going to be changed into a new man. The Bible bears this out in chapter number 9 or verse 9 of 1 Samuel 10. The Bible says, and it was so, that when he had turned his back to go from Samuel, God gave him another heart. And all those signs came to pass that day that Samuel had told him. And when they came thither to the hill, behold, a company of prophets met him, and the Spirit of God came upon him, and he prophesied among them. And it came to pass when all that knew him before time, everybody say before time, saw that upon he prophesied, behold, he prophesied among the prophets. Then the people said to one another, what is this that has come upon the son of Kish? Is Saul also among the prophets? Samuel said, God is going to change your heart. And that's going to have an impact upon your life. You're going to become another man as a result of God changing your heart. In so much those that knew you prior to this, those that used to know you, those that used to be acquainted with you, you're going to get among these prophets, you're going to begin to prophesy, and all these boys that used to hang around, you're going to say, is that Saul? Is that him? Boy, he's not acting like he, we know his daddy. We know him. We know the way that he should, what he, way he used to act and the way uh, he ought to act. Amen. If he's Saul, if he's Kish's son, but he's not acting like that. He's among the prophets and he's prophesying all because God had touched his heart and that impacted him to the place that he was another man and so we see this happen over and over again in the new testament then with the new testament saul god touched his heart as well he had an experience with god that turned him into another man and he was acting in such a way that was totally different than what everybody had known him because in essence the saul that they knew was not the saul that was now he was another man the bible bears true whenever it says old things are passed away Behold, all things become new. You do become a new creature in Christ Jesus. I've oftentimes preached and said this. I am not of the persuasion that you become a better old man. You become an entire new. Amen. 
become an entire new man. And that is what had happened with Saul here in the New Testament. And so with that being the case here, the Old Testament, Saul, he's hanging around people he wouldn't normally hang around. He's prophesying, doing something he normally wouldn't have done. The New Testament Saul, he's hanging around the disciples, which he normally wouldn't have done unless he had them in a chokehold and chaining them up and taking them out. And he's doing some things he normally would not do. And so with that is this, folks. Converted people do not keep the exact company that they used to keep. And they don't act the same way that they used to act. And they don't walk the way that they used to walk. Paul, who was Saul, later when he spoke to those at the church at Ephesus, he spoke to them because they once were Gentiles. They once were far from God. And he spoke to them and he said, I'm telling you, he said, I testify in the Lord that ye henceforth walk not as other Gentiles walk. He says, you can't walk like you once did. You, henceforth, you're not going to walk. Why? Because you've had an interruption in your life, if you want to call it that. I would call it a welcoming thing. God has come into your life. He saved you. He's pulled you. He's taken you out of darkness. He's putting you in a marvelous light. He's, he's taken you from this street. He's putting you on this street. He's ordered your steps. And so you're not going to be like you used to be. Right. Amen. Amen. Not going to be like you used to be. So, so that but those are evidences of, of a converted people that that process, that change begins to happen in their walk, in their talk, the way in which they conduct their lives. It all takes place and it occurs. In Acts 9 and verse number 20, look what the Bible says concerning Saul. And straightway he preached Christ in the synagogues that he is the son of God. Verse 22, but Saul increased the more in strength and confounded. Of course he did. The Jews which dwell at Damascus, proving that this is very Christ. Saul had the exuberance of a new convert. That's just the extent of it. He had the exuberance of a new convert, and it's seen here in Scripture because he straightway preached Christ. He straightway started telling people about his experience. Even more so, watch it though now, even more so, we see three times he told about his conversion, all right? Felix before Felix, or two times rather, before Felix and before Agrippa. But more than telling about his personal conversion, he talked about Jesus. Mm-hmm. Because, and I know no one can say anything to you about your conversion, but that's subjective to you. Everybody's is different. But he says that we're going to go to the hard facts of Christ. We're going to go to the hard facts of the gospel. And he says, I'm going to preach Christ to them. Now, here's the difficulty for some. This low-down, good-for-nothing persecutor of the church, on one hand, has a turnkey, if you will, event of salvation in his life, and now he's going out and preaching Christ. And some had difficulty of accepting that. Amen. That Saul would so soon be capable of preaching Christ. Let's bring it just to modern-day sense. Let's have somebody just come out of here. You can think of, we're all sinners, but I know as humanity, we, we put them on different levels. You just put the most horrible, most worst thing you ever thought come in, get the Holy Ghost, and we'll have them preach Sunday morning. Some people are like, Pastor McGee. <laughs> we need to go get you checked out. Even Paul, later in his letter to Timothy, told Timothy, speaking of a bishop or talking about an overseer, just stay with me. Talking about a bishop or overseer of the church, he said that person need not be a novice. Meaning that they need not be new to the faith. Yet we have Saul preaching Christ. Seems like very close after his conversion. Now let's bring a little clarity here, okay? 
Something we got to remember about Saul, who has turned into Paul, is that Saul had been a Pharisee. What that meant, he was acquainted with the law. He knew it from, he probably knew it better than some Christians. All right. He knew the law. He knew the Old Testament. He knew everything concerning the law. He was very well trained in the law and the scriptures. But whenever he had that revelation on the Damascus road that the almighty God was Jesus Christ, that just then put everything in a new perspective of everything he had learned. So he wasn't like somebody that didn't know anything about God. He knew everything there was to know about God. He just didn't know that Jesus Christ was God. And so one of the reasons why Paul could go to preaching because now he could preach everything that he knew through the lens of Jesus Christ. Amen. He could preach everything he knew through the lens of Jesus Christ. Now bring that new light, that revelation that others in the cities and towns that he was visiting even needed to know. Others in Judaism that he even came from needed to know that Jesus Christ was God, that their Messiah was their very God that they loved and adored, amen, that came in human flesh, in humanity. Can someone say amen? amen? Amen. And so he brings all those things, amen, together. Not only that, but somewhere, somewhere in the timeline, we don't know, somewhere here in the timeline of Acts chapter number 9, we don't know with great certainty where. Some suggest it's verse 23 where the Bible says, and after that many days were fulfilled. But somewhere in there, in that chapter, amen, Saul had left that place of Damascus and went to a desert that was southeast of Damascus called Arabia. Somewhere, it's not great distance from Damascus, but somewhere in there, he went to Arabia and stayed in, in that portion of that, that desert, that area that's close and nigh to this Damascus. And he received some training, not from another apostle, not from a disciple, but he received his training and revelation by God, the scripture says. If you'll allow me, everybody doing okay? If you'll allow me, let me just read some of that setting of, of Galatians chapter number 1 and, and start with verse, verse number 11 would be fine with me. Amen. Looking at the scripture. This scripture in Galatians fits back into Acts chapter number 9 somewhere. Amen. Uh, again, knowing exactly where is such. But verse 11, Paul says, he's speaking to the Galatians, but I certify you, brethren, that the gospel which was preached of me is not after man. For I neither received it of man, neither was I taught it, but by the revelation of Jesus Christ. He's letting them know that what I'm speaking to you, I haven't got second string or third string revela revelation. This is not words from anybody else. I received what I gave to you from heaven. I received what I gave to you from heaven, this revelation of Jesus Christ. For ye have heard of my conversation in time past in the Jews' religion, how that beyond measure I persecuted the church of God and wasted it and profited in the Jewish religion above many my equals in my own nation, being more exceedingly zealous of the traditions of my father. See, I'm a Pharisee. I fought for everything that I was, a Pharisee, all of that. I fought for that. But when it pleased God who separated me from my mother's womb and called me by his grace, to reveal his son, that's what happened on the Damascus road, to reveal his son in me that I might preach him among the heathens. Immediately I conferred not with flesh and blood. He said, whenever I came to this revelation and received the, the wonder gift of God, he said, I did not go and confer with other people. I conferred with heaven. I spoke with heaven. I went over to, and he'll tell us here in a little bit, Arabia. I conferred with heaven. Verse 17, neither went I up to Jerusalem. I didn't go to Jerusalem real quickly. Now, we see Damascus, Jerusalem, right in Acts 9, but Arabia is in there somewhere. As a matter of fact, two to three years of his life is in here somewhere. He didn't go straight to people. He went to God. 
Amen. He needed some instruction of the Lord. And so he, he said, I didn't go to Jerusalem and I didn't go to them which were apostles before me, but I went to Arabia and returned then again to Damascus. Then after three years, I went to Jerusalem. After three years, I went to Jerusalem. So there is a, there's, a, there's a void here in Acts chapter number nine. We see him in Damascus, but there's some time before he went from Damascus unto Jerusalem. And he said when he went to Jerusalem, he went to see Peter and abode with him 15 days. But uh, the other, the apostle, saw I none. So the Bible says in Acts 9, he saw some apostles. Amen. Namely, too, according to Galatians, he seen Peter and he seen the Lord's brother, James. But none of the others did he see. So all of this fits into back into Acts chapter number 9. So with that being said, with that being said, while Paul is in Arabia, he doesn't talk to necessarily flesh or another disciple, but he gets his revelation, his teaching from the Lord, from the God of heaven. And here, what, what should be something you should savor in this is this. That his message correlated with the rest of the apostles. His message correlated with the rest of the disciples. But he did not get his teaching from them. He got his teaching from heaven. And then the interesting that they also got their teaching from Jesus Christ. And yet their messages are the same. They correlate. There is no gap in them. Because Jesus Christ is the great God of heaven. Amen. Someone say Amen. And so even with that being said, I mean, the Bible tells us, and this is not in my notes, but that's okay. Amen. The Bible tells us in Hebrews chapter number, uh, uh, chapter number two, verse three, it says, how shall we escape if we neglect so great a salvation, which at first to be spoken by the Lord and was confirmed unto the, us by them that heard him, that, that we re receive confirmation of the Lord's message by the apostles. But if you even don't like that, you can look at where greater two-thirds of the New Testament was written by the Apostle Paul and his revelation came straight from God. Amen. Amen. His revelation came straight from God and he teaches us the churches of Ephesus and Colossae and Thessalonica and all these different letters that he wrote. Amen. He's teaching us and telling us how we live our lives after we've been converted. Right? Right? We see all the great works in the books, book of Acts of salvation taking place through Peter and Paul. That's tremendous. And then we have all these epistles to tell us how to live after we receive salvation. Because largely, Acts is your book of salvation telling you how to be saved. You see glimpses of that in the epistles, but they're speaking to people that's already saved. He took one book to show us how to be saved and several epistles to tell us how to keep saved. So I would, I'm, I'm just going by proportion. I dare to say it's easier to get saved than it is to keep saved. Amen. Amen. And so we need not to overlook here Saul's ministry. At first it wasn't very well accepted. And it goes to reason. Just think of it. He could have killed some of these folks' mom and dad just a few days ago. How would you, well, would you accept the message of the preacher that just killed your family perhaps a few weeks ago? Not very well accepted at first. That's not to say that God didn't accept him. No. That's not to say that Saul wasn't preaching the truth. But what it came down to is just going to be difficult for some people to accept him. 
Let me tell you something that through from from the vantage point of a pulpit, there's some things that we do in church. It has nothing to do. It's for God. God accept and would use them at the moment. But because of men, we got to use wisdom. So while he may have killed some people, incarcerated some people and their relatives, I mean, again, wondering who's to say he's not just trying to be an imposter, you know, among us. And he's creeping in perhaps unawares. Amen. Right? Consider this. And I know he went for preach. He wasn't accepted by everybody. He had a hard time. All right. He had a hard time. Even Jesus in his earthly ministry, God manifested in the flesh. Even he didn't start his earthly ministry, public ministry, until he was around 38, 30 years old. 30 years old. Now that, I'm not saying 30 is the magic number when you start ministry. But what I'm saying is this. What this tells me is that he was setting an example that there needs to be. There needs to be some proving. Not so much for God, but for the most part for other men. And all that is, folks, is wisdom. All that is is wisdom. The Bible says in Acts 9, verse number 26 and 27, look this. And when Saul was come to Jerusalem, so he's had his time in Arabia. He's come to Jerusalem, supposedly. And when Saul was come to Jerusalem, he essayed to join himself to the disciples, the followers that were there. But they were all afraid of him and believed not that he was a disciple. You thought you had it hard when you come to God. <laughs> Could you imagine it? We're really not convinced you've been saved. That'd be hard. And yet he persevered. I mean, that'd be a hard thing to butt up against, folks. But Barnabas, someone say, thank God for Barnabas. But Barnabas took him, brought him to the apostles, declared unto them how he had seen the Lord in the way. Right? And that he had spoken to him and how he had preached boldly at Damascus in the name of Jesus. Someone say Amen. So Paul starts a ministry shortly after his conversion. It's not without difficulty, but thank goodness it's not without the backing of a Barnabas that he was able to accomplish what he accomplished. Because he was unwelcome in Damascus. You read the story that they sought to kill him. They let him down in a basket from the wall that he would escape with his life prior to this. He struggles in Jerusalem. They're afraid of him. They're not even sure that he is a follower of the Lord. And even after Barnabas gives, gives validity to his experience, still some people are like, mm, okay, Barnabas, <laughs> we'll take your word for it. But on the recommendation of Barnabas, the apostles at least, Peter and James at least, accept uh, Saul into their fellowship and folks let me tell you it still works like that today yes it still works like that today just this week i just got a letter from uh someone who's uh, beginning or beginning again uh, to evangelize i got this letter from them but with them was a paper of five endorsements of pastors across america it so happens those five pastors i know every one of them personally that goes a long way to me as a pastor concerning the validity of this individual's ministry because of the recommendation of those five people because I know those people. I know their lifestyle. I know what they preach in their churches, so on and so forth. That goes a long way for me because of the recommendation. Thank God for a Barnabas, amen, that gave a recommendation, amen, for this Saul, amen, that look, what, look how instrumental, if you look back at it, that Stephen was in Saul's life. 
that, that Ananias was in Saul's life and that Barnabas was in Saul's life. And here Stephen was one that just waited on tables. And here's Ananias is one we don't even hear of. And here's Barnabas. We just see him always usually the son of encouragement. And Lord, and trying to straighten out, you know, things that are topsy-turvy. And there's bickering. And he, you know what's important about those three individuals? They all owned the ministry God gave them. They all owned the ministry. It may have not been, per se, a preaching ministry this or something that they thought was the limelight, but they all owned it, and as a result of it, it had positive impact upon a man that had positive impact on us still, 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 yet today. So please do not, do not down, down, do not put down the ministry God has put you in. Because through your surface eyes, you value it at here, but you don't know that you could be a modern-day Ananias Barnabas. Or Stephen. Amen. Amen. And so verse number 30. Now look at this. This carries wisdom right here. The wisdom of the brethren. Because Paul still. Saul. Paul. You can go either one right now. Okay. (laughs) He's still having some problems even after the endorsement. All right. All according who all knows Barnabas. You understand what I'm saying? If there was five endorsements of pastors on that sheet of paper in my office, I didn't know any of them. I'm still going to be like, eh. Welcome to the real world. Been there, done that. I've been on the opposite side of that too. Which when the brethren knew, because they knew there was still disputing, he's been talking to the Grecians, he's having some problems there. They brought him down to Caesarea and sent him forth to Tarsus. When they got repetitive words, Bishop, that there was constantly this disruption that seemed to follow Saul's preaching. Don't get me wrong. There's, there's always going to be some of that. You know what they finally said? You say, you know what? Maybe it'd be best if you go to Tarsus. Saul was from Tarsus. That's his hometown. That's where he was from. Galatians even tells us that he was among Syria and Sicilia, which is a region. But Tarsus is a city in that region. That's his hometown. You know what they were telling him? And there's nothing wrong with this. Are you listening to me? Anybody that ever uh, endeavors in ministry someday, there's nothing wrong with this. You know what they were telling him? Hey, Saul, why don't you start your ministry at home? Why don't you start your ministry at home? Even Jesus told the man who was demoniac of the Gadarenes after he was clothed and in his right mind and sitting at the feet of Jesus, that man wanted to go with Jesus and leave his area to go with him. You know what the Lord said? He said, return to thine house and you spread the message. Why don't you go home and let your ministry start right there? Even though, listen to me, even though that Jesus knew that for himself, whenever he went to his own home, there was no honor for him there. He did not many mighty works there. Amen. Yet he still, though, went to his own home to try to develop ministry there. I guess what I'm saying is this. If you've got great ideas of ministry, try starting that ministry right where you're at. Bishop, people have this grand idea of going and whatever it is. They're going to be a Sunday school department header-upper. And I think that we really got that going over here at this other. Why don't you try doing that at your church where you're at? 
Start your ministry at home. Is everybody okay? I'm starting to feel uncomfortable. There, it can, just, just going to be flat honest, okay? Here's the reason why some people leave. They want to go be a part of something that's already flowing and going rather than have to initiate anything. Right? Ain't be nothing. Yeah, let me just leave right now today and let me go go and get on uh, staff with a pastoral staff that just needs a good, you know, other p- pastoral uh, ministry there and, and serve in some, you know, occupation of, that's already blown and going. But it's something else just to start the ministry. Let your mini- what the, 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 the essence of it, let your ministry start at home. Start right where you're at. They, they need it just as much as anybody else needs it. And you... Believe it or not, you need them. Especially if you've been born here, have grown up here. You've been born here, grown up here. We've seen your diapers changed. We've seen you go through all your stages of life. You listening to me? There, there, in many respects, there ain't going to be anybody even any more forgiving to you than those that seen you grow up. Ain't going to be anybody more forgiving to you than those see you grow up. And so Paul, man, man, he's kind of a rough around the edges guy. He was when he was on the upside of the fence, so he is a little bit on this side. Man, he just, you know, this is what I think, and there you go. Huh? Okay. The Bible says in 2 Corinthians 12 and verse 16, it says, But be it so, and note, this is Paul pinning these words by the Scripture. But be it so, I did not burden you, nevertheless, being crafty, I caught you with guile. Paul has learned something since Acts 9, now here at Corinthians. He says, I caught you all with guile. He said, I enlured you, I enticed you. He said, I baited you. You can be truthful and still be nice. You can be truthful and still be loving. You can preach grace and judgment. And if you ever hear me around here, sometimes you think, man, he's preaching hellfire and brimstone judgment. And then on another Sunday, it's like, man, he's preaching a bunch of lovey-dovey grace. He needs to just, you know why I do that? Listen to me. Because the church needs balance. It's not that I'm vacillating. Well, one time he's judging. No, no, it creates balance. We need balance. You give your plant all rain, it ain't going to happen. You give it all sunshine, it ain't going to happen. But it needs balance for growth. It's no different than a, than a child of God, no different than us in these pews. We need balance. We need to hear judgment, and we need to hear grace. We need to hear love, but we also need to hear the consequence of disobedience. All of that is a part of balance. The Bible says in Job 6.25, Job says, How forcible are right words, but what doth your arguing reprove? He says, How forcible are right words, or how forcible is Truth. Truth's not a big stick that we come in here and beat people over the head with. Because Paul told us in Ephesians that we speak the truth in love. And the reason why is just like Job said, right words are forcible, so they need to be spoken in love because right words in and of themselves are quite poignant. Right words in and of themselves are quite piercing. 
So they need to be spoken in love. And you've heard me say this a thousand times. You can show somebody a sword without piercing them through with it. Right. Right. You come up here for a big sword and there's a little ting at the, the tip of it and I see the light. I'm saying that's sharp. You don't have to drive me through to prove that it's sharp to me. I got the point without getting the point. Amen. See, Paul has learned something along the way. I believe from my survey of Scripture that Paul was kind of a, mm, right at you. But somewhere along the way, he says, you know, I caught you with guile. I, 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 I'm speaking the truth with love. That's not mean that he's just never pro- preached judgment, but he meant he knew how to handle God's word tactfully. Yes, with diplomacy, with respect. Because you would handle God in such a way, everything you might be saying is right, but people don't care because the attitude and the way that you present it is totally not being accepted. Yeah. Absolutely. And so, so here's, here, here's Paul. And we look at it in Scripture. You read in the book of Acts, the Bible talks about Paul, that he reasoned with them out of the Scriptures. Reasoned with them out of the Scriptures. It talks about he opening and alleging with them out of the Scriptures. It even says that he disputed. And persuaded, amen, the things concerning the kingdom of God, all right? But Paul learned to go from those who didn't accept it, amen. He finally learned if they are not accepting what I'm saying, I'm just going to have to shake the dust off my feet and continue on my journey. He, he wasn't like he used to. I'm going to stay here. Boy, they're going to get this if I got to die. Just, you know, I'm going to, they're going to know that I've been in town and I get done with them and go back the next day and go back the next day. And there's no progress being made. He's speaking everything truth, but he's doing it in such a way he's really not having no furtherance of the gospel. He finally came to a place in his ministry that he learned that if I do it and they don't accept it, I'm going to go on because there could be somebody else hungry that will receive it. Is someone hearing me? Look what the Bible says. Amen. He learned to walk away. Acts 18 and verse 6. And when they opposed themselves and blasphemed, he shook his raiment. This is speaking of Paul. He shook his raiment and said unto them, Your blood be upon your own heads. I am clean. From henceforth I will go into the Gentiles. So see, he didn't just keep hitting the same old nail whenever it wasn't being receptive to what he was saying. So I'm not going to bark, get red in the face. You are going to eat this. No, he learned to go on. Acts 19 and verse 9. And when divers were hardened and believed not, but spake evil the way before the multitude, speaking to Paul, he departed from them and separated the disciples, disputing daily in the school of one Tyrannius. So he went from one place, and he said, that's all right, I'll go to another place. If it don't work there, I'll go to another place. But somewhere along the way, it's going to land on some good soil. Somewhere along the way, it's going to land on some ground that's going to be receptive. And so the key about Paul's approach is that Paul's approach, listen to me, this is important for everybody in any form of ministry. Paul's approach was Paul's approach. What I mean is this, in those episodes you read in scripture that he was reasoning and alleging and disputing and persuading, there's many times that before it says any of that, it's preceded by this, and Paul as his manner was. You hearing me? Paul as his manner, what, that is the way that Paul did. Now, you can't make your ministry just like somebody else's ministry. You can't make your approach just like somebody else's approach. You can't witness to a soul just like somebody else witnessed to a soul. You are you. God made you be like you are and watch God do what he can do as you are. As Paul's manner was. 
Some will go in there shooting their guns like Paul. Some of them will be dead because they're not Paul. I know a lot of people, you know, growing up, they have heroes of preachers. Man, Jeff Arnold, you go up and call people a bunch of jerks. You ain't going to get by with that. Jeff Arnold came because he's Jeff Arnold. And that's as his manner is. You got to find your ministry. You got to own your ministry, your style of ministry that God has given you. One person's style may not be your style. Whether that it might, your preaching may be different, somebody else's, so winning different from somebody else's, praying different from somebody else's, worship different from somebody else's, that's okay. As long as you're praying, as long as you're so winning, as long as you're worshiping, as long as you're preaching, find the style, the mode that God has your niche and be who you are. You will frustrate yourself all the days upon this earth if you try to put yourself in the mode of somebody else. If you, you, you start to evangelize, you start to preach, and you try to be like the preachers that have gone before you. Or, or you, you try to sow wind just like such and such does. Or you try to pray just like, no, no, no. You will frustrate yourself. And you know what you'll do? You'll go at home at night, you'll sit on your bed, and you will feel like a failure. And you'll feel like a loser. And you'll feel like you let God down. You let yourself down. And all you're doing is fighting against the way that God made you. And for that matter, don't let anybody ever step in your life and say, you got to do it just like this concerning the way that you pray or you're going to hell. Well, let me tell you, they're a bold-faced liar. Paul had a manner in which he did things that was according to his character and who he was. Nobody else is going to do it like Paul since Paul or after Paul. Paul was Paul, and you are you. You're Sarah. You can only do what Sarah can do. You're, you're your sister Linda Cox. You can only do it like Linda Cox can do. You might do it different from anybody else, but you got a segment of society you can touch that nobody else can because you're Linda Cox. Amen. Amen. Yes, sir. You got to do what is effective for you, not what's effective for somebody else. I stand here today as a product of somebody that had that wisdom. Me and my father, I attested this. I believe he would too, probably anybody that knows this would. I believe my dad and I have two absolutely different ministry styles. And yet dad growing up never tried to mode my ministry. Dad growing up never tried to make my style like his style. He never tried to influence that, whatever. And you know what? He, in the process of doing that, he didn't breed any contempt in my own spirit for the way that God made me. God, Dad loves to use a lot of props many times when he preaches. I hardly ever use any props. You know what? That's fine. There's nothing wrong with that. I don't stand here today nor whenever I was younger feeling intimidated, feeling like I was down and out because I didn't preach like dad. And I hope anybody that's under my counsel never thinks they got to preach just like me. But you be what God made you to be and God will use you in your capacity, in your gifting to do just as much if more than what some of these you idolize do. Be you. The worn out statements are this, that in our effort to be another, we have ceased to be ourselves. And you got to be yourself because everybody else is taken. <laughs> Verse 31, where we sprung from. So the churches after Saul's conversion, they had rest. So there's some things that are here. They had rest. There was edification. 
There was walking. Look, there was advancement in two things, in the fear of the Lord and the comfort of the Holy Ghost. And they were multiplied. The churches were edified, built up. There was spiritual growth that took place. There was maturity that took place. But there was also multiplication. There was numerical growth that took place. You can't effectively have multiplication without edification. And you can't constantly edify without somebody new to edify. It's part of a silical pattern. To edify, to multiply, to edify, to multiply, to edify, to multiply, to edify, to multiply. Because as you multiply, there's more that needs to be edified. But if you keep edifying the same old people... That's whenever the preacher gets to a place he's feel like, I preached everything I'm known to preach. I don't know what else they need to hear because they've heard everything I've heard for 30 years because there's nobody new. You understand what I'm saying? Matter of fact, that's the reason why in our mission statement we have this included, the cyclical pattern of edification and multiplication, to love as God loves, showing compassion to every soul, thus winning those souls, right, and equipping them mm-hmm, to be sent out to plant and to harvest, Right? Did you see the edification? Uh Uh-huh. Equipping them. But you're sending them out to plant and harvest. Bringing them back in. Multiplication. It's a silical silical pattern. As you read the book of Acts, you'll see parallels. I'm skipping now to Peter. Went from Paul to Peter. I know it's crazy. But Peter's able to be out and about. He's checking on churches, doing what he's doing. The threat of Paul's died, uh, so to speak. And so when we read the book of Acts, we see parallels. And you'll see this throughout the book of Acts. You'll see parallels through Peter's ministry and Paul's ministry. Both of them healed cripples. Both of them healed a cripple, Peter and Paul. Both were arrested. Both were placed in jail. Both were miraculously delivered from jail. Both were treated just like gods. People come to them, revering them as gods. Of course, they stopped that. Uh, just throw that in as a side note. <laughs> And both of them gave bold witness before the authorities, people that were in authority of their day. Both of them confronted false prophets. So there's nobody that could end up reading the book of Acts and say, I'm of a Paul or I'm of Peter. Because as the scripture tells us, that both of them, God was the one that was working all in all. In their lives and in their ministries. And they were always quick to give that allegiance to him. So Jesus, when we come to the first healing, Peter healing uh, by the help, no doubt, by the empowerment of the Lord, the paralytic man, it's interesting because Peter does a healing that Jesus has done. Jesus healed a paralytic man. And so here is now Jesus through Peter that's healing one that is sick of the palsy. And this gives us great comfort in Scripture because in our beginning of Acts, the Bible talks about how Jesus began to do and to teach And his apostles were going to continue to do and teach what he taught and what he'd done. And so it's great comfort that we see Jesus healed a man that was paralyzed. And now we see through his apostles there is somebody being healed that is paralyzed. And Jesus raised somebody from the dead. And we see now also through Peter, by the Spirit of God, someone is being raised from the dead. I'm not going to say much on, on uh, these two instances of Scripture. But in, in Jesus, he raised, of course, Jairus' daughter to dead, raised, raised uh, uh, Lazarus from the dead. Amen. In all of those episodes, it was the power of God that raised the person from the dead. Now, listen to me. This is just a little side note. But listen, I think it's important enough that we can denote in our minds or on a pad of paper. If he 
healings and miracles relied totally on the faith of the one that was diseased or totally upon the one that was malformed, then a dead person would have never been raised. For all the times I've heard whenever God chose not to heal somebody, the man who was the instrument for uh, being used of God for the prayer had ever told someone you didn't have enough faith. That's a sad, sad day in Pentecost. Because if faith relied totally upon the one needing healed, a dead person would have never been raised. Because a dead person wouldn't be able to exercise faith. But Jesus can stand at the grave of a man that's been there for four days and speak the words. And Peter can show up here and speak a few words over this lady, Dorcas, who is dead, and she's rising up. It's God. It starts with God. It ends with God. And from beginning to end and in between, it's all about God. Amen. Dorcas, this lady who was raised from the dead, you can look at the scriptures. Verse 36, the Bible speaks of this woman that she was full of good works, full of alms deeds as the Bible says the Bible says which she did what that means is this that she didn't just have good intentions she followed through what that means was that she didn't just delegate this to somebody else she did it herself she actually done these things good works and alms deeds and as a result look at it you can read the scripture right here as a result look at verse 39 as a result when she died those who knew her those that were acquainted with her they wept and they showed, look, when Peter showed up, they weren't just saying, well, here she is dead. They showed Peter the coats and they showed Peter the garments that she made when she was alive. These people come bearing the coats and the garments. Let me say it like this. They showed Peter the tokens of this dead woman's contribution in her lifetime. Listen, there is no greater testimony for one who is deceased than be able to point what they contributed in life when they were alive. They said, here it is. And look, in their weeping, they were not, listen to Pastor Knight, they were not just weeping for the loss of the woman, but they were weeping that they no longer then had the con contribution of what the woman could give. If you want to have a go in life, have the go in life that whenever you're dead, people don't just weep for you, but what you were able to contribute. A lot of people's coming on this earth, passing off this earth. They're being wept over just for them not being there. But there's nothing beyond that. They never made a contribution. I'm not talking about money. They never made a contribution in life. The Bible says in 2 Samuel 1.27, some are familiar with these. Uh, on Mount Gilboa, Saul, Jonathan, and some of Saul's sons have been taken in battle. They are dead now. And as David is lamenting over these fallen people, he comes to this point and he says, how are the mighty fallen? And that's great, but he doesn't leave it at there. And the weapons of war perish. He begins to talk very specifically about the arrows of Jonathan, his friend, who his soul was knit to. Uh, knit to 
the, 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 the arrows, the bow and the arrow that Jonathan used, and the sword of Saul. And he speaks in both of them in respect how whenever the, 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 the arrow of Jonathan went out, it was dipped with blood. It met its mark. It accomplished something. The, the sword of Saul, whenever it went bow out, it did not come back home empty. And so he's saying, how have the mighty fallen? A king and a king's son, yes, but also their weapons of war, that which they carried, that which they wielded, is now no longer as well. Amen. And so not just mourning the loss of the literal presence, but they're bewailing the loss of those people's contribution. You heard me this the other night, and I was up here closing the service in prayer, and the Bible speaks of it in Acts 13. The Bible says, after, everybody say after. After, after David served his own generation, he fell on the sleep. After he served his own generation, he fell off the sleep. And it wasn't saying he's taking a nap. He died. But it was after he served. He, he served and then he died. He served and then he died. He contributed, he gave of himself, and then he died. You want the epitaph on your stone to be that. They served and then they died. Yes, yes, yes. Yes, yes, yes. Uh, come to a close. I've been up here long enough. Verse 43. This is just setting us up for next week. Because it almost seems out of place with all this, but it's just setting us up for next week. It says, and it came to pass that he tarried, speaking of Peter, many days in Joppa with one Simon a tanner. That's setting us up for next week, for Acts chapter number 10. Peter going to this Gentile, Cornelius, his household, and him being saved. Peter having the vision of the blanket that's dropping down with unclean beast up on it. Rise and eat, Peter. No, not so, Lord. This is setting us up for that because he is staying in one Simon a tanner. And a tanner is one that has the occupation of the tanning of the hides. For that matter, it's an unclean occupation. Peter, who is a Pharisee, wouldn't normally be found staying with a tanner. But he is. God's just setting us up for this whole mode of him accepting that which used to be called unclean, no longer clean, to go to the house of Cornelius to spread the gospel to what would have been considered unclean, unspoken of, untouchable. Setting us all up. That's all that last verse to do. Well, it actually happened, but I mean, it's setting us up. Setting us up. Stand with me tonight. It'll take us a little while to get through Acts 10 because it's long. But then again, who knows? Edified, multiplied. And if there's anything else I hope that you pull away from here tonight is that you have a personality and you have a ministry with the personality that God has given you. If someone wants to argue with me, they can. But whenever the Bible speaks like in 1 Corinthians 12, 13, 14, around there, the gifts of the Spirit, now the, sub, the, 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 the Spirit of the, or the, the gift of the prophet is subject to the prophet. Tongues and interpretation. Let me tell you, here's just a little footnote. Talking about God's given you your personality and stuff and you operate within it. Whenever somebody gives a message in tongues, they're probably going to give that message in tongues per the vocabulary that God has given them as a person. Yeah. 
because he's using them as they are. I can say a word and we can give a, a sundry different synonyms that mean the exact same thing. Someone gives a message to they're going to do it per their intelligence of their vocabulary. But it'll, yeah, the interpretation, but it'll still be God. No different than then somebody else give it, but maybe the word is a little different because their intelligent level or vocabulary is more vast. The gift per the personality or the makeup of the person. Amen. Let's pray here this evening. Father, I come to you tonight. Thank you for listening. If you would like more information about our services and activities, you can find us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter with the username FACMC. Again, that's FACMC. Thank you and have a blessed day.